Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Motor Up Sports. Today, we're going to be going over football, 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 and some Pistons talk because the preseason has been underway, and I have a few takeaways from it. So without further ado, let's start with the Lions. They better win this week. I swear if they don't win this week, I am going to be so mad. This might end up being one of my lowest points of being a Lions fan if they lose. You cannot afford to lose to Matt Patricia. But they're the Lions. And this will be a typical same old Lions game. And I predict a loss. I think if Swift was playing, I think you need somebody in this lineup for this game that was going to take this game personally. And there's nobody on this roster that is actually good outside of Hawkinson that played under him. So if you're going to win this game, you need a career game from Hawkinson. Because after last week, I, I put him on blast. Shit start of the year. He's pulled it together. Had a career game last week, and I need another one from him this week. You need somebody on this team. Decker and Hawk need to take this game as personally as possible. Because we all hate Patricia. They all hated Patricia. You need a revenge game here. But if Swift was playing, I think it would have made a much bigger impact on the game. And <sighs> Bailey Zappi. He's going to have a career game. Everything about this game just screams same old lines to me, and I hope I'm wrong. Zappy's going to have a game that everybody's going to be like, wow, the lines really, really suck. Now this D makes everybody look good. Why not make Bailey Zappy look good? It's common sense. This is your last chance to fire Aaron Glenn this week because you can try to fix this during the bye week. But this is extremely concerning to me. There are a lot of injuries again this week. I'm getting really concerned about it. I mean, at least you probably have chart this week, St. Brown practice today. So hopefully he plays. But I, I mean, I was okay last week with Reynolds and Kennedy. I think they played good games where this is pretty much meaningless football at this point. I don't think this team's going to the playoffs. I would love to see St. Brown this week, but I would hate to see him get more hurt. I want to beat Patricia really, really, really bad. But you were perfectly fine without him last week. You still put up a shit ton of points. Chark needs to step up this week. He needs to have a hell of a week. You have to win this game. This is a must-win game that screams same old lines all over it. And if they lose, everybody's job needs to be in question. Besides Ben Johnson. And if the Lions had any sort of a brain, which they haven't had in franchise history, let's say they lose less than five games this year, you deserve to clear the house here. You promote Ben Johnson, you make him the head coach. Because I'm getting really concerned with Campbell. You can see the game management skills are not there. The X's and O's are definitely not there on defense. Your offense might be night and day from what it was last year, but you got to give that to Ben Johnson. You can't give that to Campbell. If you lose this game, which I think they will, but I mean, come Sunday, I'm going to think they're going to win. You have to start questioning everybody. And I think at some point you got to start questioning Brad Holmes as well because nobody's healthy ever. You stop drafting your second-round picks to be hurt because they, they're hurt every year and you don't get any production out of them. We're cursing the second round because Brad Holmes wants to draft unhealthy players in the second round every year. It looked like before the season there was a vision. Look, Brad Holmes looks like he hit on Sewell really well. Looks like he hit on St. Brown really well. Hit on Malcolm Rodriguez very well. But when you keep drafting these defensive players and none of them are hitting the field, you got to start getting a little concerned. Because drafting hurt players in the history of the Detroit Lions really doesn't play out well with this franchise. It's concerning, especially the way Hutchinson's been playing too. It looks like there's no vision. 
What's your vision? We're going to rack up a bunch of injured players. Hopefully they come back healthy and hopefully they play well. Yeah, it's a good vision to have if your team is 14 and two every year and you don't have anything to lose. But when you're rebuilding a team, rebuilding your team around a lot of hurt players might not be the smartest way you build a team because the production right now is pathetic. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping Paschal comes back. He's great. I'm hoping Jameson Williams comes back. He's great. But I'm really at the point where it's like, what are we doing here? Because none of these guys are hitting the field. And it's very concerning when your best player is a five, nine, six round rookie linebacker. I'm sorry. But at some point, you got to start questioning Brad Holmes if this continues. Jameson Williams looks like he's coming back soon. And I expect big things from him. Do I expect a day one? No. This year, he's going to catch a break regardless how he plays. Unless it's like completely horrible or he gets hurt again, I can't sit here and like get mad at Jameson Williams coming off a torn ACL. So I do expect a slow start from him. This fan base will overreact. I might be overreacting about Hutchinson. We'll see how that ends out. But it's concerning that these hurt players are getting hurt and then they're not touching the field. And when they're touching the field, they're just getting hurt again. You need a big game from Jamal Williams this week. Not even just because he's on my fantasy team and I want to say that, but because he stepped up huge last week and he looks like one of the best running back twos in the NFL. I think that with this line, any running back can look good, though. But what's really scaring me is Swift's health because he has that potential to be the next line's great, and you see it when he's healthy. When he's unhealthy, it's a lot of the time. It just feels like he's always unhealthy. You need him to stay healthy. I don't know what you got to do to do that, but you have to find a way to keep him on that field because when he's on the field, the Lions are a completely different team. They they probably still lose last week because of the defense, but if, if Swift was playing, I think – the run game, you could have ran for 200 on them. And Williams ran for over 100. There's a lot you can do with this offense because I, I think you have the talent and because you have the line. Goff's looking good because Goff has a good old line. I think Goff has been great this year, and I think if this continues, you have to extend him long-term. I'd be fine making him the quarterback the next three years at the moment. I mean, this continues. You have to extend him. You lose Goff and you replace him with a rookie quarterback who doesn't produce. You look like the biggest idiots in the whole world. I'm okay taking a quarterback next year, but I want Goff here for three more years for you to plug in a quarterback in two. You have so many other needs right now where drafting a quarterback makes zero sense to me. You have to start taking a look at Goff becoming your quarterback at some point because if this continues, you have to. But it also leads me to believe that if you bring in a better quarterback like Lamar Jackson or you go drafting and you get Stroud or Young or you wait a year, you get yours, you're looking at an offense that could be one of the best in NFL history. Because right now you're talking about the number one offense in the NFL and you have Jared Goff quarterback. And yeah, Jared Goff, good quarterback. Not great, not bad, slightly above average good quarterback. I have no problems with him. I've never had a problem with Jared Goff. You guys do. I don't. Making him your franchise quarterback wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to me, considering like if you look at every quarterback before Stafford, it wouldn't be too bad. I don't have much of an issue with it. You know what you're getting out of Goff. You know what you're getting out of Will Levis. You don't know what you're getting out of O'Connell or Anthony Richardson, but you know you're getting in the top 10 offense, hopefully, in the NFL by the end of the year out of Jared Goff, and I think that's good enough for me to move forward with him as quarterback in the future. Also, like, you extend, for example, three years. It's not really long-term, but it's a medium-length contract. You're not playing for a Super Bowl in the next three years. You're fighting for playoff spots. 
You need D so much that three years of golf doesn't hurt you anyway whatsoever. What hurts you is if you let golf go and you replace a quarterback with him who's not good, who's going to bust. Because what the Lions do best is they bust quarterbacks unless your name's Matt Stafford. I'm not comfortable moving on from golf right now. Another thing that's going to drive me crazy Sunday is if Hutch is out of position the entire game again. I will throw a hissy fit. Worse than last week. You need a career game against a depleted Patriots team without them. You need to show that he is not a first-round pick if you're Hutchinson. Because he wasn't. You can't make Zappi look like a first-round pick. Hutch needs to be all over the place this week. All over the place. You need another game from Rodrigo. Your secondary has to make plays somehow. I don't know how. I don't know how you're going to do it. But somebody's got to make a play. Hopefully Okuda does. Because Okuda, I actually don't mind Okuda. I think he's having a great year. He looks like a starter to me. Okuda needs to make that play. He has one career interception. It's time for you to do something, make something happen. Because, yeah, I mean, you're holding these receivers in nothing games, but your defense isn't forcing punts often because they're not making plays. You don't force punts and you live on the live and die on turnovers, and they're not forcing turnovers much at all. Secondary needs to make some plays this week. End of the story. Amani Oari needs a game. Okuda needs to have a good game. You need to figure out your safeties. You have to win. I think that the way they've handled the kicking situation has been pathetic, and that's concerning to me that the front office doesn't know how to do that. You cut Austin Seibert today. Should have come way before the season and gone with Patterson, but that's, you know, the stupidest bonehead move they've made. So we'll see who the kicker is this week, but this kicking situation is pathetic, and the way they've handled it is a joke. And when we're talking about jokes, let's move on to NIL. And I think this is something that I want to touch on, even though it's not really Detroit sports-based, but it does impact Michigan Michigan State. So I'm just going to run with it. And NIL money is just ruining college sports. Look, I have no problem with college athletes getting paid. Zero issue with it. I have an issue with athletes getting millions of dollars to play college football. And what's scaring me right now the most is your transfer portal. I have no issues with athletes transferring. What's going to become an issue is people are going to start testing this like it's free agency. Who's going to hand me the most NIL money? That's where I'm going to go. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you test the market? You're on one-year contracts and NIL money. So if you're Quinn Ewers, for example, you're getting probably one of the biggest NIL contracts of all time right now with Texas. But if you're Quinn Ewers and you're unhappy at Texas, but you know your quarterback fun, you're unhappy at Texas, why don't you start looking on the portal? Every school is going to offer you, you're going to have teams lined up with money bags. Why wouldn't you test the market? This is what I'm afraid of, is that college sports and NIL money is going to become free agency. No college athlete should be making 20 times the money of a rookie in the NFL. Like, it's ridiculous to me. And also, I think there should be a clause on these players. If they're making over 200 grand a year, because there are players that are going to make that, and this NIL money is just beginning. There's going to be a lot more money getting handed out in the next couple of years as more teams get familiar with it. If the NCAA doesn't come out with restrictions for it, but scholarships should be removed from players making over 200 grand a year. Let's start giving those scholarships to academic students that deserve it or, or underprivileged students who actually need the scholarship. Because if these athletes are making six figures, there's no reason why they should get the university to pay their college tuition. If they're making over 200 grand a year, come on. You're telling me they can't pay for it themselves. It's kind of disrespectful to the students that are trying hard and doing well in the classroom when you have college athletes making a million dollars and they're getting their, their free ride. I think it's a little disrespectful there. From an athlete's perspective, I like it. You know, they deserve to get paid. Do they deserve to get paid this much? Absolutely not. 
And I think it's wrong that the NCAA didn't pay athletes for 150 years. It's wrong that they opened it up this way and just said no restrictions and they let the floodgates open like this. And now it's just a bidding war for athletes. I think it's going to start going away from what school I want to play football at or basketball. And I think it's going to start turning into, oh, the U is going to offer me $7 million to play football. Why wouldn't I go? Notre Dame's not offering me the money, but I want to play in Notre Dame, but Notre Dame doesn't have the NIL money, but the U does. So I'm going to go walk my ass to the U. Why wouldn't I? It's going to become a bidding war. And I think it's already starting like that. There's probably a lot of shady stuff happening down the SEC that the NCLA can't do anything about. And I also think these contracts were getting handed out for years from boosters, but you know, nobody can find the money back guy. And now it's just publicized. Moving on to Michigan State football. I think we all know what's going to happen. If you want to win, you have to score. Wow. Who on this team is capable of making a play? Absolutely nobody. Is the line capable of stopping them? No, the fuck they're not. CJ Stroud, career game coming up. Be ready for it. Be ready for 500 yards. Be ready for a complete meltdown and beatdown in the first half. This game will be over by the 10-minute mark of the first quarter. Because as soon as Ohio State scores on you, that's the game. You know what's the most humorous part of me about this season so far? Because I think this has been one of the worst seasons of a sports fan I've ever had. It's humorous. They won 11 games last year, and they're walking into this game as 27-point underdogs. Like, do you realize how bad that is to look as a program? It's a horrible look. These matchups are going to be entertaining. Bradley Anabuka is going to be fun. Ron Williams up funny. That's going to be a great matchup. And you have a mere speed guarding Marvin Harrison Jr. Matchup hell, matchup hell, matchup hell, matchup hell. You're going to lose this game so bad. And Travion Henderson's back this week. Congratulations, Michigan State. You got your hands full now. You're just lucky you don't have Smith, Smith and Jigba ready to light you up this week. Trayvon Henderson, my prediction, 120-plus yards and two touchdowns. He doesn't do that. It's a bad week on Henderson's end, especially if Slate doesn't play. You know what? This game isn't even worth, like, getting worked up about because, like, we all know what's going to happen. If Michigan State even wants to have a fighting chance, which we know is not going to happen, you got to get going with your tight ends early because your receivers aren't really getting going, and your run game's a joke. You have NFL tight ends, and you don't use them. It just blows my mind what Tucker's doing here. It's like he's clueless. Thorne's going to get lit up by the, their D-line and their front set. What drives me crazy is why they put us on national TV. I don't want to get embarrassed like this. The rest of the nation now gets to see this product that we get to see every Saturday. Huh. And tickets are cheap. Like, I don't even expect the full student section there. But tickets are going for $20 the day before. I mean, they're probably going to be $15 tickets day off. I was offered free tickets this weekend. Nobody's going to this game. You're about to see an empty woodshed on national television and going on to the woodshed. Yeah, Tucker, it's cute when you're winning. It ain't cute when you're losing football games. Some statistics for this game. Ohio State, when they play at Michigan State since 1999, it's 10-0. So we have our hands full there. Thorne's going to be running for his life against Ohio State this week. And we're moving back to our run game that's been atrocious and pathetic all year. If We better see Elijah Collins get the nod. He's proven everything. Berger and Broussard are not good Big Ten backs. I don't know how Broussard won Pac-12 Player of the Year because he's just not that good. And Berger doesn't even look serviceable either. At least Elijah Collins has shown he's a number one back at some point in his career. None of these guys have. I don't know what, what he has against them, but you need to have Elijah Collins get the start and you need to make him the workhorse back this week because Berger and Broussard are clearly not working. Now, granted, when you have an O-line this bad, it's really hard for a running back to make plays but it's just going to be a shit show there. Ohio State's D is unreal. I think Michigan State gets shut out until they put their uh, reserves in. They might have three points, but they're going to have less than seven points until 
garbage time. And you guys don't understand how much I like CJ Stroud. I get it. Like this Ohio State curse with NFL quarterbacks has been going on for the last 15 years. Stroud's different. Stroud doesn't want to just run first like all these other Ohio State quarterbacks have or Cardell Jones was trash, but Stroud's more of that pass first quarterback before he takes off with his legs. He 100% breaks the curse. He's going to be a stud in the NFL. But what's going to kill us this week is his patience to make a throw. Our D-line already sucks. They're not even going to get close. I mean, he's just going to stay in the pocket and make a play. He might roll out, wait, make a play. But when 82% of the passes have been completed on the MSU secondary since Big Ten ball has started, we'll struggle for 95%. It's very well possible. Tanner Morgan and Tagovailoa have lit you up for 82% of passes. <laughs> it's humorous. Man, Washington's not that good of a team. So if Penix does that to you, that's bad. Final score prediction this week, 56-10, Ohio State. MSU up three points going in the garbage time, and Noah Kim will put up seven in garbage time. That's my prediction. I probably can see Noah Kim getting the nod starting against Wisconsin, but he's not your solution to this problem we have. I mean, he's just not. If he was your solution, he'd be starting right now. He's shown me that he can play against second-line players. Could he do this against first-string players? Probably not. Moving in, Michigan football should handle business easily against IU. IU, they are the worst team in the Big Ten. It's not a debate. You lose to Nebraska without a coach, you're the worst team in the Big Ten. I don't expect anything different with Michigan this week. They'll handle business. Corn will have a career game. Michigan is 25-1 and one the last 26 times they've played at IU. Nothing's going to change here. I mean, Michigan hasn't dominated a game yet. This is a game that I think you have to dominate and show that you're Michigan football and you're not a 9-3 program. You got to show you're 11-1. You need to show me that you're going to be 11-0 going to Ohio State because I've been talking really good about Michigan so far this year, but I haven't seen like this dominant game once the Big Ten play started. They should have dominated Maryland and they didn't. Iowa, you're obviously never going to dominate Iowa because Iowa's defense is too good to dominate here, but it's really rare for Iowa to get carved up at home. Can't really say anything about that, but JJ has to clean things up. I mean, he hasn't wild me as a quarterback. He's not living up to that hype that I've seen. He's done what he's needed to do, but he hasn't done more. So I'm waiting for that breakout game from him. This is the perfect opponent to torch if you're JJ. You need that momentum going into Penn State because if you don't play a blowout game here against Indiana, it's a little concerning when you play Penn State next week and then you have a rivalry game. Granted, Michigan State sucks. But you have a rivalry game against State, that's always a close game. IU sucks. They got blown out against an okay Cincy team. They lost by two touchdowns to Nebraska. So I fully expect a Michigan win here and handily fashion. Moving into my final topic of the day, it's preseason Pistons talk. I'm not jumping to conclusions in one meaningless preseason game. But I will say I was very impressed with Dern. I was very impressed with Ivy. I was not impressed with the way the group could play with each other, though, because they show they can't as of right now. Boyan looks like he fits in well as of now with this group. That first half, he showed it with me that he will probably be an 18, 19 per game scorer this year. Don't know how long he's going to be there, but I will say the group showed a lot of youth, too much youth. They were making plays that they would make in college and not plays you'd make in an NBA game. Now, granted, this is where I catch breaks for everybody. When you have Dern and Ivy on the floor, these guys have not played against NBA talent, so they're going to make plays like they're in college. They look very nervous too. Tonight's the night you clean it up against the Pelicans. You need to clean this up before the regular season. Another thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about right now is Kemba and how he wants out. I kind of want us to keep him and try to convince him to play at least to start the season. He could be much better bet presence, in my opinion, than Corey Joseph is for Ivy Kate and Killian. I think moving in the Killian, he looks much improved. 
Granted, it's a meaningless preseason game. We'll see what happens when the regular season starts. I've pretty much been a big Killian hater. I've never been a fan of him. I've hated him for two years. I don't like him right now to start the season anyways. Well, I saw a little bit of potential in him for the first time in his career. Also, what is up with like this Corey Joseph love? He needs to be benched. You need to put Alec Burks in there. Because Alec Burks is a shooter. And what's the point of throwing out Corey every night? What does he do for you? He's done nothing since he's became a Piston. It is unacceptable that Casey plays big minutes. It is going to be unacceptable when the season starts and he's playing. Corey might be a great leader, might be a great locker room guy, but hell, he is not good when he hits the court. I'd way rather see Alec Burks get those minutes tonight than him. Also, I've kind of reached the point where I think you have to play this year for at least a play-in, at least show that, that the youth is good. But I've reached the point where you need to get Wembeyama, and I'm willing to give up four or five firsts just again. If the Pistons get Victor Wembeyama, you're talking about the next dynasty in sports. Can you imagine Cade, Ivy, Sadiq, Wembeyama, and D- Jalen Dern all on the same roster? That's a lineup where you're talking about you're winning rings probably for the next 10 years. You got this crazy window because your team's full of 18, 19 year olds. You got 10 years to win with these guys. Plus, you're also looking at 61 million in cap space this offseason. So, how about you save that money and spend it on extending everybody? You have to move this offseason all your poker chips to the middle and start winning. Wembeyama's the guy you go all in on. You push all your poker chips and draft assets right down the middle, and you go win now and you get Wembeyama. I mean, this guy's an extreme dual bar good. This guy will be a generational player. And if you don't get him, you're missing out on it. And also, you got to understand, like, Cade and Ivy, they'll probably end up taking pay cuts if you have a dynasty here. But the only way that you make this work and you're willing to trade all your draft capital in the next five years away for this is you have to run it past Cade and Ivy and Dern and City. That is okay with you. Give up four or five first-round picks to move up and get him. This guy is the next great. You're missing out on the greatest prospect of all time. I think if you have a chance to get him, you have to give all your poker chips to get him. It's year three, though. You can't play for that lottery spot. Year three of this rebuild, it's time to start winning some games. I, I'm okay with this team losing the start of the season. I'm perfectly fine with it. They need to learn how to play as a group. They're very young. You have an 18-year-old center who probably will be a starter the way he looked in that preseason game by Christmas if he plays like that all year. Point guard's 19 and shooting guard's 19. You have a very young team. I don't expect this team to come out there and just light it up right out of the gates. I will be patient with them. They deserve patience. They've built the team smart enough, and I see a vision that's that's strong enough where I'm okay with patience to start the season. But once we hit New Year's, this team better be rolling. I'm not talking about like you need to be rolling like a 550 win percentage. I'm talking about if you, once you hit New Year's, if you can hit a 500 mark from January on the rest of the season, I'll be really happy. Because early on, I do expect them to kind of move their way out of the playoff race. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games early on, which will take them out of the race early. Now, granted, I said 33 wins coming in, and 34 was what the Spurs got their 11 seed play in last year. So is it possible? Absolutely. So I, I'm willing to see them get a play-in spot too. I know this is going to be a process this year. I know this is going to take a lot of time. And I expect a slow start from Ivy. I don't expect them to light up right away. Patience with this team is going to be the key. The Lions with the patience, fuck all that. But with the Pistons, I expect patience with them. I am okay with them losing early in the season. If that means they can learn to play with each other later in the season. So I'm not freaking out with losses early on. I expect it. And I know this is going to lead the titles. So I'll be back on Monday. Hopefully the Lions win because that there will be a lot of screaming on Monday.
We know what's happening in Michigan State. Michigan should do their job this weekend. And let's see what happens tonight in the Pistons' uh, second preseason game. Definitely will keep my eyes on that. So I'll be back again on Monday. See you guys then. Go green, go Lions, go Pistons, and I'll be back.